Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia sometimes, but today I'm coming to you from a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Let me tell you about my guest today. My guest is, as always, going to help you to become a more confident leader, to grow your business and take it and your life to the next level. I have the pleasure of interviewing today Doug Thorpe, and let me tell you about Doug. Doug is an executive coach and business advisor who loves to share tips and tricks and ideas for running a better business and building strong high-performing teams at work. Doug provides personalized one-on-one coaching, and it will help you as an entrepreneur to be able to reach your full potential. He will focus on positive transformation and work with you to assess your strengths and identify areas of improvement in order to create and maintain a successful career. He takes a holistic approach, focusing on mindset, communication skills, and practical strategies. Doug also employs powerful tools to help you become an effective leader in your chosen field. With his guidance, you can learn how to create clear goals, stay motivated while achieving those goals, and lead with confidence. Invest in yourself and your future by listening carefully to what Doug has to say today as we unlock your full potential. Our theme is going to be, how can I shift from doer to leader? Please join me in welcoming my guest, Doug Thorpe. Thanks, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be here. I really look forward to our discussion today. Yes, We always love these conversations about leadership. It is, you know, part of my wheelhouse here and uh, tied so tightly with the communication part of what I do. Before we get into the tough questions, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you know, I asked you the easy question first. Tell our audience, where do you call home? Uh, my home area is around Houston. I usually tell people that that's easier to identify. I live in a little <laughs> suburb community uh, to the southwest. Uh, it's officially Richmond, Texas is my P.O. box. Richmond, Texas. I've never been there. have been to Houston. <laughs> not, so. not to be confused with Richmond, Virginia, but... Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. All right. So let's get into this. Whenever we talk about leadership and and as you're thinking of workplace, is there a difference in your mind between management and leaders? 
Well, I love that question, Vicki, and I frequently start out with my coaching clients to have that discussion, that, that very discussion. <clears throat> I tell an interesting story, I think. Once upon a time, I would ask that question, do you think there's a difference? And people would stumble with it a little bit. They would they would struggle and, uh, you know, oh, gee, I don't know. But interestingly, as time has gone on, I stopped asking that question because more and more people were saying, well, of course there is. So the question now, as you've done to me, I ask my clients, what do you think the difference is? Okay. I sum it up with one simple phrase, and that is management is about process and leadership is about people. And I was actually in a meeting this morning and we were talking about this very subject. What I shared was that leaders can be and should be good managers, but all managers are not necessarily good leaders. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> and by that, I mean, you know, people come up the the trajectory and, and the career path, if you will, of being a manager. And this is perhaps what I would call a pet peeve. How do we usually select our managers. If, if your company's big enough, you go look at the team and you say, ah, I'll take my best producer, mm -hmm. my best salesperson, my best accountant, my best engineer, my best whatever. I'll make them the supervisor of that team. And sadly, in the early going of that, sometimes all you've done is ruined your best producer. If you're the owner of that company. But if the person survives and figures out some things about what it does mean to be a manager, they're probably going to get recognized for that effort by what? We promote them again. <laughs> we make them another manager of something bigger, something more substantial. And so it goes two or three more times. They get further up the organization. Then all of a sudden the company says, hmm, Maybe we ought to send them to leadership school. Maybe they, maybe they ought to learn something about the difference. And that's where the leadership development journey finally begins. Fortunately, there are a few companies that identify this and they know this and they've done good work in developing those first-time managers. But a lot of times that poor man or woman that's picked for that has to do it on their own. They have to figure it out on their own. So true that, you know, that's why I do what I do when I retired from work. And I thought, you know, why should people have to suffer through so many jobs and so many companies eliminated training? And as you said, like for me, it, it, I had continuing education as I started out and it was always available. And as soon as I was picked to be in supervisor, the very first thing I spent three weeks in leadership training and then the other piece of it is the mentorship i have always had people that were strong mentors for me either because of the job that i had or because these people took an interest in me and saw something in me before i saw it in myself and uh, so you know that's that's my mission we used to ask and you might remember this we used to ask the question are leaders born or are they made <laughs> And uh, to me, I just, in my opinion, is uh, you have to 
train them. You know, I, I don't believe that there's a, a person that's born leader. I think they may have character that will help them excel in their training. But I think that anybody can become a, a great leader if they put their mind and their work to it. I, I'll tell you, I take a slight exception to that. I generally agree, but I do take a slight exception. I do think there's a small percentage of people that find themselves in management roles that are, in fact, pretty naturally mm-hmm. born leaders. They they can assimilate the task. And as a coach, do you know how I know when I'm talking to one of those people? They don't think anything we talk about is anything special. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When when we done. start Have beginning to discuss and explore the the core principles of good leadership, motivation, communication, empathy, authenticity, accountability, all those things, they're kind of looking at you like, well, uh, duh, <laughs> of course we do all that. Well, in my unscientific sampling method, I have determined that when I see a candidate that is looking at the world that way, I realize I'm talking to someone who is, in fact, a what you would call a natural born leader. Now, can they be, can all those latent possibilities be sharpened and, and fine tuned and improved upon? Absolutely. And that's where the training comes in. I always find too that as you talk to them, and, and for me, I, part of that develop the development of a person, whether I'm going to be putting them in leadership or not, I always think you have to build relationships with whomever you're working with. And as you are peeling the onion and understanding their background and their history that's built their character and their behavior, personality, there's something there that they had. You know, I talked about mentor, professional mentors maybe that I had. But our parents, our friends, our associates are those unsung mentors probably that have started to to, to provide you with the foundational, I guess, that you discussed. Right. Totally agree. So we talked about this a little bit as you were describing um, in earlier about the shift from doer to leader. Where And I totally agree with you. I preach this all the time, that just because they're really good at Excel or some other process does not mean that they have what they need to be a great leader. So talk about that shift where you were the employee, the team member, and now you're the team lead or the manager. Well, it, it is an interesting challenge and dynamic, and, and I, like you, have, have had a lot of opportunity over the years to work with folks that have been put on that journey. And again, I, I go back to the basic idea of um, the person that gets identified for good performance, and the logic says, well, if they're a good performer here, they'll probably do well influencing others to be good performers. And I think that's the rationale that is used to elevate them to some kind of supervisory or management role. The The big challenge and, and the big um, uh, uh, revelation that usually impacts that person that moves into that seat, it looks a whole lot different on the other side of the desk. <laughs> 
And I, I, I tell the story that I've actually used that technique a time or two as a manager when I've got a particularly disgruntled employee that wants to uh, talk about things. I have physically gotten out of my seat, walked around my desk, sat in the side chair and asked them to go sit in my seat and ask the very specific question, does anything look different from over there? Mm. And inevitably, so far anyway, I haven't done a lot, but I have done it more than once. The answer is always, ooh, yeah, maybe there's some stuff I'm not thinking about. Mm. You know, maybe, maybe there is more to this story. And it, um, it, it is amazing to try to help people understand the magnitude of what is involved. I, I've told this story as well. Once upon a time, I was commissioned to go in and help a large global company do a first-time manager orientation mm -hmm. workshop. They had a very nice program in a big six-inch binder, and it was going to be presented over a two-day mm -hmm. workshop format. They asked me to come be the presenter and facilitator, which I was happy to do. And I got there on the prescribed day and there were about 60 people in the room, but they were predominantly engineers. This was a large design and construction company. If I name the name, probably a lot of people would know it, but we did about the first hour, hour and a half, and then took a break and this line formed at the podium. And very first young man standing there in line said, if this is real, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing as a new manager, I don't want to do it. I want to go back to being an engineer. Who do I need to talk to? And I'm kind of like, uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of said, well, I'll tell you what, my friend, why don't you stand over here? Let me see what these other folks need to talk about, and I'll get back to you. Well, the whole line was there for that same reason. <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, so I told them all, I said, well, why don't you all just hang in with me and let's uh, let's get a little further into the program. I think you'll, before you make any rash decisions, let's uh, let's get through the whole program. I, you know, after all, it's being paid by the company. You, you got a nice venue and you're going to have some good food and let's just enjoy the day. So they did. They, they, they made it through and all was well, but it was it was impactful to say the least my gosh i my one uh, leadership I, I think it was management school not supervisor school but it was three weeks away from home and it was so much like that where it's like what <laughs> we have to talk to people <laughs> yeah because we did role playing quite a lot in through those three weeks, <laughs> and it it was really kind of hilarious to me because we had one person he was a month ago put as supervisor, and then as you said, he seemed to be you know a smart cookie, so they promoted him to manager, and he had just he had just not what it needed to to be that quickly promoted. Interesting. All right, so let's talk about um, we this person that is promoted and, and now has all these things in front of them to do, and they're questioning whether or not they're the right man or woman for the job. They have that imposter syndrome. 
I figured you were going to go there because that <laughs> is such a common, um, a common theme. Yes. The, and it is part of our human nature. And, and I've come to attribute it this way. I, I believe the majority of the workforce, whoever they may be and whatever level they may be, generally want to show up and do a good job. I don't really believe anybody gets out of bed in the morning and says, hey, I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to go all the way to work and I'm going to suck at what I do. Now, you know, arguably somebody in the audience is going to say, oh, I got three of those guys working for me right now. <laughs> but um, that aside, uh, generally, that's not the case. So what that means is people want to do the right thing. They want to do it generally well. They would like to be shown what good looks like, and they want to be given that kind of direction. Well, if you're in the manager's seat, you're the one that needs to be giving all of that. You're the one that needs to be shaping that and presenting it to your team. And the choices and decisions, the instructions, the guidance you're giving, you can't help but look in the mirror and question, am I doing the right thing? Am I putting the best answer forward? And there's this odd conundrum that emerges, and that is that there's a general reluctance to go tell your boss you're not sure. I know and you don't particularly want to admit to your people you're not sure. So there's this quiet, private, silent suffering of, and, and it's popularly called the imposter syndrome. If anybody knew what I'm really thinking, they're going to think so much less of me than I want them to think. And that is a real challenge for people in management roles. But here's the interesting thing is you might be suffering this right now, listening to this show, and you're in a reasonably junior position in the company. But guess what? Senior people have it too. Mm -hmm. People that have been in management roles for most of their career, when they get promoted one more rung up the ladder, it's going to kick in again, nine times out of 10. My one of my favorite mentors was the CIO of the company that I worked for for a long time. And he would sit me down and say, Vicki, I only hire smart people because they're I don't know how to do everything. And I need to ask questions of these smart people. <laughs> and so that gave me such confidence. It's like so I never hesitated asking questions. And he's like, there's no dumb questions, you know. Save And I was always about efficiency, so I thought if it could save me time by asking these, this question, even if it is not the smartest question, I'm going to do that. So that was great ad advice, I thought, from that CIO. Well, and it, it's funny, the psychology of, uh, around all of this, and, uh, and I don't mean funny to be facetious, I'm saying it's just interesting to mm -hmm. explore it. I had a gentleman once I was working with, he had been moved into a position as the declared stated heir apparent to a large division of a national bank operation. And he was going to be given basically 12 to 18 months of lead time to shadow the senior exec that was running it because the senior exec was getting ready to retire. And so there was this very specific 
transition plan, continuity plan, all of that. Everybody was told it was all disclosed, nothing under the covers, nothing secret. <clears throat> so he, this, my client was basically a deputy guru for this department while the older gentleman was getting ready to retire. Well, the day came for him to, the older man to exit and my person to step into the role. And I'll never forget my first meeting with him after that transition had physically taken and he literally moved next door in the office suite there. <clears throat> so he was in the big corner office and which was just, you know, one door away. Yeah. I said, how's it going? And he said, I'm scared to death. <laughs> he said, for all that preparation and all that effort, I knew I had this. I knew I, I, I just, I can't believe I'm suffering this. And so anyway, that, that opened up a whole, you know, process and a dialogue we had to work through to kind of explore what the limiting beliefs might be that were impacting his mindset about mm -hmm. the situation and why it made a difference. He was sitting 15 feet away from the guy for 18 months, sitting in on all the decisions, all the choices, all the work that it was going on. And yet when it was now his, it was a whole new ball game. Yeah. yeah. Very true. So, how do we build trust at work and within our team, knowing that we are going to have those moments of self-doubt, um, that we that, that we don't know everything and we may screw up now and then. So how do we just build that trust? Well, as people will see if they read my background and everything, my, my last book was just that. It was about trust at work, and that was the title of the book. And uh, a colleague of mine and I put this together uh, right at the start of the pandemic, actually. We had been oh, working wow. on it for a number of years. It was a model that <clears throat> we both had firsthand experience implementing and working in our um, prior corporate lives. The the thing about this notion of what is trust and how do we build it at work, people get, I think, stuck in the fog uh, of mm -hmm. this thing we call trust. It sounds noble to say, I'm going to go build trust in my team. Well, okay, good for you. How do you think you're going to do that? And what we present in the book is an actual practical kind of step-by-step -step model for being able to do that. And it's all centered on a very human principle. And I use the analogy, if anyone who's listening thinks about their the time in their life when they were thinking about finding a life partner, you wanted to date people, meet people, and you knew in the back of your mind you wanted to find this life partner but how did you do it? What did you really do? Well, those dates usually, at least in all of my experience and most of my friends' experience, involve the idea of having simple discussions, asking questions, and exchanging ideas. What do you think about this? What's your favorite movie? What color do you like? What food do you like? Where do you like to go for the evening? And then those questions get a little deeper and a little more meaningful as time goes on. And finally, you get to the really serious questions of, 
you know, where do you want to live? What do you think about marriage? What do you think about kids? What do you think about families, religion, politics, all the icky stuff that you have to look at? But ultimately, consciously and subconsciously, you're checking boxes. You're saying, I feel really good about this person. I've learned so much. I think I can really trust them, trust them to the point I want to make them a life partner. And so the proposal happens. Well, fast forward to the workplace. I argue that the same thing happens at work between employee employees and employers. People show up with questions. What are we doing here? How are we going to do it? Where are we going? Why should I even care? There's a whole litany of questions that are common and recurring in people's minds. And as a leader, if you can set up a framework where those questions are allowed, discussed, shared openly, either one-on-one or in groups, and you do the best you can to provide answers to those questions so that that person can go consciously and subconsciously checking boxes saying, this place is cool, man. I really want to hang here. I I really want to make a career out of working at this place. And when you, as a leader, when you can do that, the great thing that happens, number one, you build a lot of momentum in your team, but individually what you do is you tap in to your person's, your employees' discretionary effort. And I argue in the book, we talk about this a lot, there's basically two gears that people have when they come to work. They can either agree to do the minimum, still show up and do what's required to keep themselves in good stand. And and it, it that's still consistent with what I said a moment ago about wanting to do good work. Then there's that second gear that is the extra mile, the extra 10%, the 110%, or however you want to refer to it. It's that opportunity to really kick in and give a little more to, for the greater good. And when you can get your team doing that on a regular basis, not just as an exception, that's when you're going to find a much higher level of performance overall. And I cite the famous study that Google did. It's called Project Aristotle. They actually released it in uh, 2018, but it had been a two-year study. Google was asking themselves the question, for all the effort we do on the front end, hiring the best of the best, why don't all of our teams perform at the same level? Mm-hmm. And they they did a two-year evaluation and study of this and came up with a conclusion that said, and they used the, the fancy clinical name for it, psychological safety. Mm-hmm. But when you read the text that describes this thing called psychological safety, it's good old-fashioned trust. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think it's tied to where the the leader sets expectations, shows you where your value and worth to the efforts. You know, what when I come in and, and do something and I know that it's 
what going towards the overall goal of the company it's helping me grow and fulfill like there's so many things that bring out that best in you well we in 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 my book we address that and the questions that i talk about fall into six different buckets mm-hmm. and there's a we call it the team trust model and I can hit them real quickly. There, there's the, the first and most fundamental of all the questions is we call it the people question. Do I even want to be here? Do, do I like the people that are around me? Do I like the people I see? And, and there's a lot of other iterations of that notion of the people-based question. Question set number two has to do with purpose. What are we doing? Why does this team exist? Why does my department exist? Can I identify with the purpose, the greater good that we're supposed to be serving? If I can check that off, then I move on to number three, which is the plan. So how are we going to fulfill that purpose? What what do you see as the roadmap and the direction? And you got to get comfortable with that to be able to know that you might be able to perform and be successful. You got to have a clear vision of that. Mm. A lot of companies, managers don't do that well. They don't explain that to people very well. Number four is practice. And that, that what I mean by that is you've bought into the purpose, you've read the plan, but now when you show up and sit down and go to work, do you have the tools? Do you have the equipment? Are the policies and procedures supportive of what you think you're supposed to be doing? Are there any arbitrary or artificial roadblocks that are holding you back? All of those things is in the practice area. Number five is performance. Once I get going and get into this, how am I going to be judged? How am I going to be evaluated? What kind of feedback am I going to get? How do I know I'm going to be given the opportunity to grow if if I earn it, you know, and and will it be fair when that happens? All of those questions are in bucket number five. And the last one, bucket number six is the payoff. And payoff is not limited to compensation, although it's definitely part of it. But payoff, more importantly, is about that overall sense of fulfillment. I bought in, I followed the plan, I embraced the purpose, I did my work, and now the reward I'm getting from it as a proud member of this team is, is all worth it. And I'm ready to do it all over again. Yeah. And when a team is hitting on all six of those cylinders across the board, top to bottom, side to side, you are going to have a high performing team. I have presented this model at some of the biggest global brands on the planet. And when I go back a couple of months later, to meet with the teams who learn this model. What I find is they've changed their vocabulary. You go to a team meeting and instead of the classic boss says, let's go around the table, everybody give me a status update. What we get is somebody raises their hand and says, hey, we got a problem at number three. Our plan has broken. The plan we thought we had is not working anymore. And here's why this thing in, in the market, this thing in our supply chain broke something, you know, something about the plan got impacted. So as a team, they come together and they work the problem to, you know, reset the plan. So now everybody can get in the loop again. Yeah. It's fascinating. Solitary focus. 
Awesome. It, it, time is flying by. I mean, I told you this is my favorite subject to talk on, so I could talk to you for hours and hours on this. For sure. I understand. But it is time now for us to share my screen, and it, this will allow all those that want to get in contact with Doug to be able to do so. So for those that are just listening, as I always remind you, you can uh, go quickly and grab a portal, but this information will be on site as well as the https colon forward slash forward slash Doug Thorpe, that's D-O-U-G-T-H-O-R-P-E.com, DougThorpe.com. So Facebook, you can find him on on Headway Exec. That's H-E-A-D-W-A-Y Exec. So that's capital H, capital E. Instagram, DougThorpe underscore com. DougThorpe for LinkedIn. And Twitter is DougThorpe underscore dot com or underscore com. <laughs> and Pinterest is DougThorpe underscore com slash create underscore created. Again, all of those will be on my website as well as the YouTube show notes. I'm going to let Doug talk to you about what you can find when you go to DougThorpe.com and as well as visiting his uh, various social media. Yeah, thanks again, Vicki, for the opportunity to be here. And folks, if, if you do want to get a hold of me, the best way to do that is on my website, simply at DougThorpe, T-H-O-R-P-E dot com. There are call to action buttons there to schedule a free discovery call. I'm happy to set up some time and visit with you and talk about your particular situation, whether you're in the corporate leadership journey or whether you're a small business owner really trying to take your business to the next level. Usually what you're going to be experiencing is the challenge on the leadership front, being able to lead the team that you've got in that company. And I love working with people that are trying to get through that transition in their own life and in their own work. So DougThorpe.com, click any of the contact buttons there and you can get over to my free discovery call. Awesome. And would you just also mention again, you talked about the book that you have, if you would mention that again and how they might get that. Yeah, all of my books are uh, on Amazon. The latest book is called Trust at Work, Practical Tools and Tips to Help You Build Trust for Your Team. It is available on Amazon. Just look me up there, DougThorpe.com. You don't have to try to memorize the name of the book. I, I do have several other books. My original writing had to do with first-time managers. We touched on that early in this show. That book is called The Uncommon Commodity. But it, too, all of them are listed um, there on Amazon. Well, Doug, it's been wonderful chatting with you today. Great conversation about the leadership piece and how we can be more effective as leaders as we um, grow in our companies and in our lives. And as always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. 
Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.